I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 115. Well, it's January 2nd, 2019, and yesterday, which would be New Year's Day, guess what I was doing around 10 o'clock in the morning? I mean, only I would be so insane as to agree to do a radio interview at 10 o'clock in the morning on New Year's Day. But I never say no to Captain Phil. And I should say the title of this episode is Captain Phil Interviews Paul Levinson about his music, Trump, and space travel. So how's that for a combination of topics? But that's right. We talked about all of those things on Captain Phil's radio show on WUSB-FM radio just yesterday, New Year's Day 2019. By the way, that's the radio station of Stony Brook Radio, great university here in the New York area. And we not only talked about my music, but Phil was good enough to play three songs, three rough mixes from my new album, which will be coming out in the spring of 2019 on Old Bear Records. The album is called Welcome Up, and the three songs that you'll hear in this interview are Samantha, If I Traveled to the Past, and Welcome Up. And we took that title and made that the title of the album. You'll hear Samantha and If I Travel to the Past at the beginning of this interview, and you'll hear Welcome Up at the end of this interview. So sit back. I always have a great time with the inimitable Captain Phil, and I hope you have a good time, too. All right, all right, all right. And here is Paul Levinson with his work in progress, uh, Samantha. And we're going to be talking to Paul in about 10 minutes. We're going to play a couple of his tracks. So let's start with uh, Samantha, Paul Levinson, at uh, 10.07 at 60 Degrees here at WUSB Stony Brook. Man, but 
the past to change your mind So you love me then and you love me now Would I have known to travel back in the first place If I traveled back so fast that the world was blind Could I slip through time, could I slip the vine Of paradox that turns the best into the worst case It ain't right to turn the sun into the darkest night If I make it work just one time I could have it all, I could have you mine If I traveled to the past, no I'd never tell A single soul my lips would be sealed Except when they brushed against your sweet face If I traveled to the past to change your mind So you love me then and you love me now Would I have known to travel back in the first place? Now it ain't simple, it ain't right To turn the sun into the darkest night <laughs> If only I could travel back in time. Hey, man. <laughs> Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year. This has to be the coolest transition to a, um, a phone guest ever because you, I, I brought you up as you were singing along with your song. How cool is that, my man? <laughs> oh, hey, how was your New Year, Paul? It was great, actually. Um, I mean, the whole day was fabulous. We uh, saw our grandson for a couple of hours and uh, our kids and, you know, just taking it easy. And I, but I have to say, you know, uh, as long as you're asking, I don't know how you feel about this, but, you know, the television part of New Year's, I swear to God, I, 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 I miss Guy Lombardo. And so, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, Basically, and and even your CNN was much better when they had uh, Kathy Griffith on there. I, I don't think she should have been fired. You know, she didn't do anything that terrible. That was I think a couple of years ago. So that that was a bore. Um, I remember when you know, I mean, Dick Clark wasn't the greatest, but he you know he, he was better also than. Uh, so actually, we spent um, you know the wee hours of the morning uh, watching a. Finnish uh, Nordic Noir series. We haven't finished watching it yet on Netflix called Dead Wind. And I highly recommend it. It's, it's pretty good. On oh, Netflix. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, now now uh, with the with with streaming and everything, it's totally changed the media landscape and how people spend their time. Now, for me, um, um, this is well. I mean, you know, buckle your seatbelt, Paul. <laughs> but right, I'm a huge fan of uh, Space 1999. Uh, you know, I, I love it, warts and all. And so, uh, Comet TV, which is an over the air. TV that I pick up with my antenna that's on my roof <laughs> uh, did a Space 1999 marathon, so I was watching that, but simultaneously I was toggling back and forth to NASA TV because we had the Ultima uh, Thule and I pronounced that right. Um, I have no idea whether it's Fool or Thule. Or I think Thule. it's Thule. I remember the way yeah. they were saying it. You know, when yeah. I when I talk about it later in the show, what I'll do is um, I'll, I'll hear them talk about it because I have a bunch of uh, I have a bunch of uh, material for that as well. Sure. Um, but I just watched that, and it was you know what it was really funny it was like an anticlimactic thing because. Um, Brian May came on at at midnight and premiered his new song, which was which was fantastic, which was just great. And it's just great because I'm watching the coverage, and Brian May is being interviewed, and underneath him they have like the name. You know how they have put the name tag up, you know, on these on these things. Yes. And it says Brian May, astrophysicist, rock star. <laughs> well, that's a great combination. I, I love it. I love it. And I was like, I was just like. I, 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 you know, first of all, I can't believe I've lived so long to see the surface of the planet Pluto and soon to see the, the surface of this Kuiper, um, you know, belt object. Right. Uh, at some point today, we're going to be starting to see images. Probably right now they're coming in. Um, but the, the great thing was to see that. So we premiered his song, and then uh, 20 minutes later, they had the flyby when, you know, and of course, the data's been coming in ever since, which was anticlimactic because, you know, there's the, there's the delay in, in the images and things coming through. So it wasn't like, hey, we flew by it, and there's nothing. Right. <laughs> so he had a bunch of kids jumping up and down on the stage, blowing into noisemakers, which, um, in retrospect, was a really bad idea <laughs> on live TV. <laughs> So. Yeah, well, I know. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I just have to throw in here, that, you know, back to Space 1999 and science fiction, uh, that I, I, here's like one of my guilty pleasures, or I don't see why I should feel guilty about it, but I really love the Orville. Have you seen any of that? You movies? know, it's on my list, and I yeah. actually started watching it, and, and I know I know, I know, he's, I know he's, a, he's, he's a 1999 fan. He has, like, said right. it publicly. Not, not a lot of people say it publicly. I do. Yeah. But who am I, you know? <laughs> Captain Phil. Captain Phil. It goes with the territory. But, um, yeah, it's on my list, and I just haven't... I think I got, like, 20 minutes into the first episode, and then I got busy with something else and distracted. So I wanted to, like, sit down and stream it. I did sit down and watch all of Star Trek Discovery, though, but I really want to sit down and see The Orville, which just released on DVD uh, this week also. It's worth it, and the the, uh, second season just started Sunday night, so I guess the night before last. And... I, you know, I have to say, the Orville, even though it's not explicitly Star Trek, is so much in, in the original series and Next Generation tradition. In other words, the characters are all, in some sense, derived from one of those two shows. That it's the closest thing. If you have a Yen or a Jones or whatever the best word is for watching the original series or Star Trek The Next Generation. A hankering. The clo- yeah, hankering, right. <laughs> the uh, the, the Orville is the closest you'll get to it. 
Uh, and I have to admit, I'm too much of a cheapskate. I haven't seen anything on CBS All Access because enough's enough already. You know, we're paying for Netflix, we're paying for Amazon Prime, we're paying for Hulu. So CBS should have had the decency <laughs> to put, uh, you know, the new Star Trek uh, series on just regular C- you know, CBS. CBS. CBS loves to shoot themselves in the foot. CBS, like, sold off Supergirl, which I thought would be, like, a great way for CBS to, to get young, you know, and, and the right. Star Trek Discovery, uh, which which I, I agree with you, Paul. I checked it out of the library. It's available in the library now. And oh, that's good. All right. Okay. So, so you want to grab it that way. The my library gave me two weeks to watch it. That's good. And, right. and I watched it with Mrs. Captain Phil. We bonded over it. It was something right. very special. We had special, you know, Star Trek. We Star Trek Discovery together time, you know. That's and, good. <laughs> yeah. and and you know, it's it's. I actually I look forward to you watching it and discussing it and, and reading about what your what your thoughts are because it 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 definitely has its moments and it and it has beautiful people and very talented actors and beautiful effects and i just say to myself um there's a couple of things here and there that just really are 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 are, are making me like twist my brain into knots because this is taking place 10 years before captain kirk's star trek and star trek had its own look right <laughs> in 1966 right. you know and and that's fine you know but to th- to have Two drastically different looking shows. Um, I don't know. There, there needs to be somebody should just get on the screen and says, "Look, we know, <laughs> we know Desilu couldn't afford state of the art sets and effects in 1966 to just suspend your disbelief." If somebody would just come on and just say that out loud, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, well, listen, I uh, I realized, you know, to some extent, what they were doing behind the scenes uh, in the original Star Trek because. Uh, in in the early 1970s, basically, my story is I was going to City College in the 1960s. But apropos of uh, my music, I, I I dropped out in the late 60s to uh, write songs. And my first album, Twice Upon a Rhyme, I was working on it, and so on. So I didn't get back uh, until uh, to any into any university classroom until I went to NYU around like 1974, 75, and and once I did that I, I got my BA my MA my PhD all those crazy things but one of the things I did at NYU is I took a couple of television production courses and so it's, it's the mid 70s and what had happened is I mean television production had evolved to some extent since the mid 60s but it was then that I realized what Star Trek uh, you know had been doing and and uh, so in a way if you look at it in one sense it is incredibly you know held together by cardboard and scotch tape and you know the you know, the, the, the set is ridiculous but if you look at it another way it's a pretty uh, sophisticated accomplishment because at the time when um, when I was watching it in the 60s uh, I didn't think it was some kind of incredible and it wasn't low budget you know and I didn't think it was you know some kind of incredibly uh, lame production which of course now if you look back it seems that way by the way if you want to really see a, an incredibly uh, low budget production check out from the 1950s captain video and his video rangers which was on Dumont television yeah 
There, my God. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I've actually seen some of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could There was so you could practically see every once in a while, you know, someone like you know behind one of the props, you know, like someone's or hair sticking up out of the mic in uh, picture. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing. Absolutely, that. And um, there was another one too. Not just Captain Video. There was like, um, oh, not Space Rangers, but something you know along along those lines right, that right. I remember seeing as well. Oh, Space Patrol. I think it was uh, right. Sp Space yeah. Patrol. And and um, and the actor that was in it I became the actor that was in it. Um, everybody had a had a crew cut in those shows. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> everybody looked like Biff from uh, from Back to the Future. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But the, the one guy went on to be like in, in tons of sitcoms in the 60s and 70s as the dude who would like be the bully all the time, you know? <laughs> And and I forgot his name, but I mean I saw him. And you, when you see him on 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 these shows, you're just like, that's the dude who was like trying to beat up Felix Unger or something, you know, back in the '60s, yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I I recommend you check it out. But yeah, I, I the Orville is on my list, Paul, and and I'm glad. You know, you know, one of the things I always said uh, about Galaxy Quest, which I guess Orville has like kind of ripped a page from a little bit. A little bit, absolutely. Yeah, I always said Galaxy Quest, which was a brilliant movie, expertly acted and wonderfully done. But if I ruled the world, uh, Galaxy Quest would have been done with the cast of Star Trek: The Next Generation. <laughs> Well, that would have been a good touch, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 I mean, Patrick Stewart loves Galaxy Quest. He loves it because the end of the movie, the fans save the world. That's right. You know, the fans save the world. Fans save the world. How about that? <laughs> That's a great uh, concept. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, listen, um, we're we're off topic already. <laughs> this is the story of our uh, lives, of our interviews. I mean, I am always off topic. But we, we, I said we were going to talk about your music first. Right. <laughs> now you went, you went up to where was it? Niagara Falls, was it? Not that far, about an hour south of Niagara Falls, uh, Batavia. Batavia, Batavia really, Buffalo, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it's not Buffalo either. It's sort of halfway between Buffalo and Rochester. Yeah, and I, went, I went to school in, in SUNY, uh, uh, SUNY Fredonia, so okay, I would so drive you know, through Batavia. Like, yeah, so. Yeah, and, uh, I, you know, I, it's, it's actually a really cool little place. I mean, the, the studio, Old Bear Studios, which is uh, Old Bear Records Recording Studio, it's located in this great, like, old but, like, refurbished uh, building. Uh, they have a very cool cafe, uh, you know, on the ground floor. And, and the studio was like something else. And, and the, uh, the people who uh, run it, um, Chris Hoisington and Anthony Hoisington, uh, and, and they're the ones that they also uh, run and own Old Bear Records. They've really outfitted the studio with like all these cool things. I mean, everywhere in the studio that you look, you can grab something and play some rhythm uh, with it. And uh, it, it, so I felt incredibly at home there. And actually, uh, my wife Tina came with me. And that made it even more cool because Tina was in the studio with me when I recorded a lot of Twice Upon a Rhyme back in the late 60s and early 70s. So, uh, yeah, you know, people often ask me, my God, and, and this is this uh, album is going to come out in, in, in 2019, so we're talking really close to 50 years uh, after my 
only other album of original material came out. And people often ask me, uh, wow, how does it feel? And, uh, yeah, my stock answer, which I think I heard some other, you know, uh, recording artist who'd been gone for like 30, 40 years, say. So it was so good I picked it up. I can't quite remember who it was, though. But anyway, this is like my line about that, that it was actually part of my strategy back in the late 60s and early 70s to put out a record and wait almost 50 years you know, to put out the next record. But, oh, there was, you know what, I, I just watched, I believe it was on CBS uh, Sunday Morning, there was this band who played uh, Fillmore, Fillmore West, mm-hmm. all-girl band, mm-hmm. who opened for all these legendary acts in the 60s, and they never dropped an album, and they went off and got married and had kids and grandkids and whatever, and they're getting back together, and they're going to drop their album in 2019, but I forgot their name, I'll have to There look. you go. Oh, I'll you know to... what, I remembered who, where I heard that from. I think it was from the lead singer of Orpheus. Do you remember that group, Orpheus? They had a, they had like one hit record in the late 60s, it was, uh, I think it was... I can't find the time to tell you. It, it, there was. Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's basically. And they had an album out there. And there were three guys. Uh, they came, I think they came from the Boston area. And basically, that actually was a pretty big hit record. It was not a number one record, but it you know, probably got like into the top 20 in some places. And then nobody ever heard from them again. And then they came back with an album, uh, like maybe like 2010. And I think he was uh, the guy, the lead singer who had that line. Sadly, the 2010 album didn't do very well either. So uh, I'm hoping that... Uh, Welcome Up, which is the working title of the new album, uh, doesn't become, like Twice Upon a Rhyme, a lost cult classic. It's okay if it becomes... That's what they... Uh, when when it was rediscovered back in Japan, Twice Upon a Rhyme, this was like you know, about the year 2000 or so, 2001, the review said, this is really a fabulous album. That was great. It's, you know, it's a lost cult classic. The only thing that was really true about the album then was that it had been lost. It was not <laughs> the year cult classic. So, <laughs> I'm hoping things doesn't happen to Welcome Up. I love you. That's, that's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, very much. Um, 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 it, it reminds me of that movie that fell out of my head. Um, that Meathead film, the 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 fake rock band movie. Um, oh, the one with yeah, the guy from uh, All the Family. Yes. That, that was a great. The, uh, I can't remember. I know. Either. Is this terrible? What happens when you get? Yeah, I know. In an hour, I'll remember. I'll remember. Everybody, everybody who's listening is like slapping their heads right now and saying, "Dude." Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, they get, they made it big in Japan, and so did you, Paul Evanson. You made it big in Japan, but but and that was 19 years ago. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm still pretty big in Japan. Did I tell you about this? There is a cafe, and I just happen to know the name. It's called the Café du Livre, which is French for Café of the Rabbit. And it's located in a really nice park just uh, on the outskirts of, of Tokyo. And... Twice Upon a Rhyme is on their playlist, and, you know, usually once or twice a week, they play a song from Twice Upon a Rhyme there. They're probably doing that right now. So, Wow. Yeah. (laughs) uh, But I've always loved Japanese cuisine. Yeah. That's only right. And now, even more so. (laughs) Yes, that's absolutely right. (laughs) 
That's that's crazy amazing, you know. And you know what would be the ultimate thing now? Because um, I'm I'm trying to get a guest for my music show on on Thursday. I'm trying to get a guest from G Kids, who is the North American distributor of um, Japanese anime, uh, mm-hmm. but like but, but like the arty anime, like the Miyazaki movies. Right. And um, and I'm trying to get them on. And I think what the greatest thing would be, uh, Paul, if uh, this new album worked its way into. A Japanese anime. <laughs> well, well tell, tell the guy, tell the guy about the album. The yeah. songs are all science fiction. <laughs> yes. By the way, so, uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, Chris Hoisington, who's the producer for uh, Old Bear Records, it, this was actually his idea to some extent because he had heard and he was a fan of Twice Upon a Rhyme, and he contacted me this you know past summer. So we're talking about the summer of 2018. I said, hey, you know, we'd like to uh, record a, a new album with you. How's that sound? I said, well, it sounds great. And he said, I assume you have new s- songs. I said, yeah, I do. He said, do any of them have any science fiction content? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, yeah, because, uh, you know, I've been playing around with that for a while. It seemed like a natural thing. And he said, well... Wouldn't it be a great idea that your second album, uh, the first one since Christ Upon a Rhyme, would not only be you singing your songs, but songs about science fiction, because that would combine two of the main creative roads that you've taken in your life, music and science fiction. I said, man, that is a fabulous idea. And so I already had a bunch of songs. Some of the songs I'd started writing but didn't finish. Samantha is an example of a song that uh, I started writing, I don't know, about 10 or 15 years ago. I just like wrote the first verse or two. And I finished it up like about a month before we went up to Batavia. And I have to say, there's another song called Welcome Up, which I wrote for my wife, Tina, when she was still my girlfriend back in the late 1960s. And I have to say, on Twice Upon a Rhyme, there is a song, The Soft of Your Eyes, that I wrote for Tina. So when I was saying to Tina, hey, we're going to go up to Batavia, you know, she said, well, that, that's fabulous. Uh, is there any chance you could finish writing this song? You know, that you started about me in the late 1960s. I said, Yeah, it's a pretty good idea. After all, we did get married, we had some kids, sure. And, and so, uh, to, that's really, we're to, welcome up to, to, to prove your love for her after, was this being that's written right. after your grandkids? That's right, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, that's awesome. That is, you know what? That's funny. That reminds me uh, a thousand years ago. Um, when I was um, when I was um, falling in love and 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 uh, getting ready to get married, I wrote a song for my soon-to-be uh, wife as well. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so. Dinko, you must you must be a pretty good songwriter and singer because she she didn't leave you. And uh, <laughs> you know, I always think the same about <laughs> Tina. Okay, my music isn't that bad. So. Well, either that or, or she has Stockholm syndrome, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good explanation. Yeah. It's funny when it's I try love, it's Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> when I try to write because um, I'm I'm a former music teacher. Uh, when I try to write music, I plagiarize so whatever i've listened to last um is something is something that i usually just i end up like writing what the last song i heard in my head and and so so i don't have that i don't have that 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 drive to write and i know people here on long island and of course you too paul you know that's like driven to to create new music and stuff like that and with me i'm happy to like you know play stuff and 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 teach stuff like that but i've never really had the uh the uh urge to just 
come you know come up with some some new melody or whatever and whenever whatever I do I said well that's Beethoven or well <laughs> that's Barry Manilow you know sure <laughs> you know that's how it's always that's always come out for me so it's it's always put me off a little bit uh, we are going to play welcome up we're going to play welcome up um, when we say goodbye to you Paul but we have we have other topics to discuss but before we leave um, one you know uh, once upon a rhyme um, that can be obtained uh, through your website and uh, is it on the streaming services what's the best way to obtain a copy of this time capsule of musical wonderment right twice upon a rhyme it's everywhere it's on band camp so you can go there and listen to it there for free it's on spotify it's on itunes it's on amazon it's all over the known and unknown <laughs> universe can we find vinyl? Is this the vinyl? Yes, yeah. you can find vinyl. And in fact, it, it, here's the story with vinyl. There are two uh, versions of the vinyl, and there's going to be a third version also. First of all, there's the original vinyl. This is like, you know, from 1972. And uh, I had like, you know, a, a bunch of copies and, uh, you know, in, in the 70s, uh, which unfortunately didn't sell. You know, right there along with my books that didn't sell. It's a good thing I have a big attic. But we now have uh, the original vinyl for sale. Uh, about uh, six or seven years ago, Anthony Nyland has a, uh, a small record label called Sounds of Salvation Records. Sometimes it's called Whiplash Records out of the United Kingdom. He remastered uh, Twice Upon a Rhyme, and so he put it out in really nice new you know, crisp-sounding crisp vinyl. That was a limited edition. There's also a CD that uh, a Japanese record company, Vivid Records, and a Korean company uh, uh, put out uh, around 2008. And last but not least, sometime in the next year, in 2019, Old Bear Records, in addition to putting out Welcome Up, is going to put out a new vinyl of Twice Upon a Rhyme as well. So you'll, you'll be able to get both records from Old Bear Records. So this is incredible. So let me—I have to ask the Japanese and Korean version. Does it have the obi? I guess did I say that right? The little strip of writing. Yeah. Yes, it does. It, 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 and uh, you know the the Japanese version is why the album is being played in the Cafe du Livre because they picked up a, a copy of the CD whenever it was in 2010, and they're obviously fans. And, um, you know, the Korean version actually came out first on the Korean record company, Beatball Records. They actually sold, uh, uh, they had permission to do that, the, the rights to Vivid Records in Japan to put out the records. And, you know, every time I think about being played in South Korea, I'm thinking, hey, I wonder if anyone in North Korea is able yeah. uh, to hear. Maybe I'll get caught up in some kind of, like, by conspiracy. You need you probably need to go over there. Um yeah, right. <laughs> I mean you're not a basketball player, but you <laughs> go over there and uh, do the inspections, you know, find yeah, out what's going on with their nuclear program that's because right. of twice upon a rhyme. Uh, that's that's <laughs> I'll tell them what I think of Trump. I'm sure that, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well apparently those two got along really well. Oh, I know. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Chubb said he fell in love with them. So. Yeah, birds of a feather, huh? That's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's. I I just think that's that's great, though. You know, uh, just as a quick aside, um, you're also speaking on a radio station here in WUSB Stony Brook that happens to have a Korean radio program on Sunday nights from six to seven, uh, Korean Life. So there you go. So there you're you in. Go. You see, it's all tied together. You're in the right place. So right. it's synergy. It's synergy. You know. <laughs> That's right. And it's Paul Levinson.com, right? Uh, it, actually, it's PaulLev.com. So P A U L L E V.com. Or my blog is PaulLevinson.net. Perfect, perfect, and and also uh, and and besides that, you're you're a very successful science fiction author, and I believe uh, you just released an audio book, or is that I've been reading about um, the plot to saves um, uh, Socrates? Socrates. Yeah. Um, didn't that just come out, or am I am I just just seeing it? It, it just popped up on my news feed. Well, because it's about time travel, it's understandable that people will get the timing a little jumbled. Actually, it came out probably around 2006, 2007, a few months after the uh, print version of the novel came out. Mark Shanahan, who's a, a pretty uh, well-known actor and director, and he's even done musicals, did a great audio book of it. It's available on Audible. And the reason why I put that uh, out, why you saw that, I put the announcement out just to confuse people. But the reason why I put Mission it out... Mission accomplished, Paul. Exactly. Is I just accidentally almost uh, listened to like the first 15, 20 minutes of the audio version of the plot to save Socrates. And it was the first time I'd listened to it in, you know, almost 10 years. And it really sounded great. And you know how it is like when you haven't listened to something in a while and, you know, you just sort of bump into it. And sometimes, you know, you cringe. But in this case, I was saying, wow, this is, this is really good. So that's uh, what motivated my putting out that announcement that got you confused. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad we could talk up your work as well because, um, you know, you're, you're I mean, your day job is you are a media studies uh, professor at Fordham, Universe, Fordham University, right? Yes, that's absolutely right. And and you also are the star of radio and television. You do commentary on the illustrious WUSB Stony Brook, but you've also been on CNN and MSNBC and I believe uh, the Evil Empire. Didn't you do a couple of appearances on Fox News as well? Absolutely. In fact, I have to tell you, uh, I, you know, as far as like my videos on YouTube, my most watched video is not Fox News, it's CNBC, where I had a debate with Jack Thompson, who I, I'm not sure if he's even still alive, but he doesn't do much of the same way. He was like a virulent anti-video gaming crusader. Oh and I was on there to basically say, hey, leave these kids alone. <laughs> they have every right to watch video games. There's absolutely no cause and effect uh, between watching violent video games and doing anything violent in the real world. There's a difference between correlation and causation. Anyhow, so that, that's my most watched video. But my second most watched video, which has, uh, I don't know, several hundred thousand views, uh, was one of the times I was on Bill O'Reilly. Yes. He was holding forth on Fox News. And that uh, interview is interesting because there was a woman in Youngstown, Ohio, who was a, a newscaster, and she went down to Florida with her husband and 
late one night, she was in a bar, she got a little drunk, there was a wet t-shirt contest, she joined in, someone was able to capture some video of that, and her boss in Youngstown, a, a nice guy, promptly accepted her resignation. And, and O'Reilly, back then, you know, the, the, the paragon of virtue, yes. basically says, oh my yes. God, you, this woman disgraced herself, and, and they brought me on, uh, you know, a professor from Fordham University, what do you think about that, professor? And I said, well, what I think about it is people should be judged uh, on how they do their job, not on what they do if they go out with their husband, you know, on vacation in Miami, uh, and, and don't hurt anyone, you know, they, they do something, you, you might not like it, but it didn't harm anybody. So... And I'll, and I'll never forget O'Reilly, uh, you know, was ending the segment, and he looks into the camera in his meaningful way, and he says, well, you've heard what the professor said, folks, but trust me, you'll never see her on uh, television again. And with about a half a second left, I said, we'll probably see her on Fox News as a, a newscaster in the next couple of months. <laughs> so, and O'Reilly, <laughs> you can see the smoke coming out of his ears. <laughs> so I got a, a good last line. But anyway, I was very happy to see that she went on and, and actually was, uh, and still is a very successful uh, newscaster in, in, in Cleveland. And, you know, O'Reilly... You know, think about the hypocrisy. Uh, here, back then, he's preaching to everyone how you have to be so virtuous. And like many of the other men at Fox, uh, he's no longer even on uh, Fox uh, News. So, uh, I actually, people often say to me, why did you go on O'Reilly? Why do you even go on a show like Fox, uh, you know, network like Fox? And the answer is, is I think it's good to spread the truth at least as I see it, in enemy territory, because where else are they going to hear it? So, yeah. hey, hey, Fox, if you're listening, I'll come on anytime you want. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'll be your agent, Paul, so <laughs> I'll send you over there. Listen, you know, can I, can I change it up? Let's get, into, sure. can, let's get into politics, and then we'll end with the, with the Pluto Ultimate Thule mission. Good. Um, let's transition right into that. So um, it's, been, it's been kind of like a, a 2018, um, a bad year? the worst year, um, an unbelievable year. Um, what are the, the highlights of horror <laughs> from where well, you sit, Paul? Let's, yeah. start, let's start with the worst and work our way, hopefully, to maybe the light a little bit. Yeah. I think it's been one of the worst years in American history. It's, 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 it's better than when we were at war with ourselves, the, you know, the Civil War, and it's you know, better than say 2001 because of what happened September 11th. But just politically speaking, th this is the worst thrashing that our democracy has ever been subject to. And you know, it, it shows, I've been thinking about this, and I actually heard uh, Lawrence O'Donnell on NBC, MSNBC talking about this uh, at some point a couple of weeks ago. It, it, it shows the absurdity of our electoral college system. And one of the points that Lawrence O'Donnell makes is, you know, around the world, what we call the popular vote, they don't call it the popular vote. They just call it the vote. 
meaning they don't have to make a distinction between the popular vote and some other kind of vote, the electoral college vote, because they don't have electoral colleges. And no system of democracy is perfect. But I think what has happened in 2008 is we are once again suffering the consequences of this profoundly antiquated and anti-democratic with a small d system that we have because it just makes no sense somebody wins his a popular vote here in the united states by three million votes that person is not president and the only reason that that happened is you know the the country was created back when there were just 13 states uh, nobody back then could have realized how the United States would take up the whole continent, you, that you would have huge states like California. And th the fact of the matter is what the Electoral College does is it privileges people in rural states, and I have nothing against rural America, but th they don't reflect the mainstream of America. That's reflected in the, in the big cities. But the Electoral College, although obviously to some extent the number of electoral votes that each state gets is based on its population, it's, it's still not something that is a direct reflection of what the people want. And that, I think, is ultimately what historians are going to say is is the reason that we got such an awful president taking office in 2017 and I, you know we could talk for hours about in many ways there's no other word to describe it the insane things that trump has done as president one of my main concerns because as you mentioned i am a professor of uh, communication and and media studies uh, i do teach about the ethics of journalism the way that he has systematically undermined the legitimate press in the united states i wish i could say that it's unprecedented but unfortunately i can't say that because that's exactly what hitler and the nazis did in germany when they ascended to power in the nineteen thirties and you and i probably talked about this the last time i was on the show oh yeah but, yeah yeah i mean the the lugenpresse which means the lying press that was their word back in the nineteen thirties for fake news and just as when trump lashes out at cnn and says you are fake news and and basically takes away Jim Acosta's press credentials, which they reinstated after a couple of days. All of which is a response to Trump not liking what CNN is saying about him, not finding their news reports welcome, not whether what they're saying is true or factual or not. But basically, he doesn't like them, so he undermines them by calling them fake news, and. I think that if you look at the history of how totalitarian societies have arisen, not in the aftermath of absolute monarchies or other kinds of dictatorships, but in democracies, which is what happened again in Nazi Germany. You had the Weimar Republic, which was a democracy overthrown by the Nazis. One of the things that the usurpers of democracy do 
is they systematically undermine the public's confidence in the press. And if that is a successful move, what then happens is people don't know who to trust, who to believe. You can't have a democracy without some confidence in, in what your media are reporting. So I look at that as the single worst thing, but I'm certainly uh, open to people saying, well, you know, it's even worse than that. What Trump has done regarding immigration, where he's, and that's actually another totalitarian move. You demonize a segment of the population. They're somehow not fully Americans. They're not even fully human. They're not deserving of any kind of humane treatment. So it's okay to have little kids dying because they're separated from their parents. They're not treated medically uh, in an appropriate way, in a way that protects their health. And so we've had at least two cases where kids have died. I, I, that is just monstrous. And Trump is 100% responsible for that. So it, it doesn't matter, you know, where you, you turn. I can't think of a single thing that Trump has done. And, and that's really saying a lot. Look, even George W. Bush, who, in my view, didn't deserve to be president because, you, you know, you'll recall, and I'm sure our listeners will remember, in, in the year 2000, first of all, in, in, in that election, Gore won the popular vote. And, and not only that, um, Gore would have won the electoral vote had the count in Florida been allowed to proceed, but the Republican Supreme Court stopped that recount. So I had nothing good to say about George W. Bush, and I had nothing or very little good to say about Richard Nixon. But you know what? Those guys look like angels compared to Trump. They, you know, they Nixon do. Nixon at least opened up a, a relationship with China. That was a good thing. And, and George W. Bush actually d was trying to create a better immigration policy. So I've disagreed with presidents, you know, given my own uh, strong opinions, lots of times. But what has been going on in our country, and therefore the world, since Trump has took office, is, is just something else in terms of its threat to democracy and and it's not an exaggeration to say the horrors that have come out of the White House. So, the, the, if, if, to segue into, okay, what happened in 2018, yeah. that at least is good. Certainly the fact that the Democrats have gained a majority in the House of Representatives and in a couple of days will at least have half of one branch of government not controlled by Republicans... I think that is certainly a, a big ray of hope, which leads me to think that 2019 is going to be a lot better than 2018. Did the Republicans in the two years they controlled all branches of government, and they're well on the way of controlling the judiciary, I guess, for, 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 for years to come, um, did they? do you think they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish, or do you think they were just there to sow chaos? Is this kind of like a disaster capitalism sort of uh, thing done on a governmental scale where they're just 
kicking over. This reminds you of Babylon Five, actually. They're they're the shadows kicking over all the ant hills <laughs> to coin right, right. to coin a phrase, you know, because well they they've been playing Babylon Five on Comet TV also. But anyway, the nerdy aside here. But I I look at what's happened in the last two years and I see a bunch of ant hills being kicked, you know, kicked over and knocked over and 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 the least. Um, the the least the weakest members of our society the poorest or, or you know or the the immigrants um, all all these or or the or the children even or or the victims of of gun violence um, right. have 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 all come under scrutiny and attack by this administration was this just to sow chaos or they truly want to like extinguish uh, those things I think it's much worse than just wanting to sow chaos and. Apropos of the courts, if you if you look, you you go back uh, and Obama appoints somebody who the Senate refuses to even consider because even back then the Senate was under Republican control. Beyond belief, beyond right. belief. So that's where it started. And then you have Trump gets in office, and the first thing he does he, is he appoints Neil Gorsuch to that position. Gorsuch is confirmed. And then, obviously, Kavanaugh is confirmed. And, uh, you know, this is yet another whole story. We could talk for hours about this. I don't get people like Jeff Flake. You know, he's, and he's retiring from the Senate. So what was he worried about? What did he have to lose? He had the chance to basically step up and make history for the benefit of humanity by not confirming Kavanaugh, and yet after all that he said, being concerned about Kavanaugh, he confirms him anyway. So although the Republicans did not accomplish most of the things that they wanted to accomplish in, in terms of you know, legislation, and you know, thank goodness they failed to repeal the Affordable Care Act, that they came very close. This took John McCain, a Republican, with his thumbs down to prevent that from happening, and, and, and good for John McCain. But, you know, the appointment of these two Republicans to the Supreme Court, there's nothing that can be done about that. Even if Trump were impeached tomorrow, uh, and even if Pence were impeached, and even let's not make it tomorrow, let's make it next week. So Nancy Pelosi, a Speaker of the House, becomes president. She, there's nothing you can do about uh, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. And yet, in my view, they, uh, for different reasons, they they neither should have been appointed uh, to uh, to the Supreme Court and, or, and confirmed. So I think that that is a signal accomplishment, a, a bad accomplishment of, of Republicans. Otherwise, most of what they proposed did not uh, go through and did not become enacted into law. And, and here I think we do have uh, something that we can say on behalf of our separation of powers in, you know, in this country, a combination of Congress and the courts in their own ways, by and large, have gotten in the way of Trump's worst impulses. Although not in terms of immigration, because again, there are real people who are dying uh, on the on the Texas uh, Mexican border. There are real families that are being separated, and that is just a continuing outrage. And the courts have systematically tried to restrain Trump in his immigration policies, 
But a president does have certain discretionary power, and that's going to continue until Trump's no longer in office. So the bright spot in all this was the um, capture of the House by the Democrats. Yes. Um, You know, I I didn't really... I didn't watch a, a heck of a lot of news. Um, I basically got my news through like reading news feeds and following through articles and stuff like that. But um, I was in the back of my mind. I was saying to myself, "Did the Parkland students make a difference in this November election?" Because um, the media seemed to go a little quiet about them. It seemed like you know these the, the these high school these 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 gun uh stories seem to have like a lifespan they seem to last for about 6 or 8 months and of course when the anniversary date comes up we get trotted back into it and everything but it seemed like this thing had legs for a long time when 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 these students had formed up and it was very impressive and very hopeful and very 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 proud of those kids but i didn't really as november approached i didn't hear too much from them um i know they were still active uh do you think they made uh, a big impact in the, in the november elections yeah i think they do you know it's, it's the hardest thing in politics to explain why something happened or didn't happen and there are so many factors involved in uh, uh, any individual making a decision to vote for this candidate or that candidate that there's no way you can definitively say well the parkland students made a difference but i would be amazed if they didn't make a difference and i saw them being interviewed right up uh, through the election before the election and after the election and I agree with you. I am immensely proud of them. These kids, they saw their friends massacred. And this is something which it's not the first time this has happened in the United States. Unless something is done to control guns and keep them out of the hands of lunatics and other people who shouldn't be having such ease in getting weapons, it's going to happen again. But I think that what these uh, high school students did is absolutely wonderful. And it certainly has to be considered one of the reasons that the Democrats did so well across the country. Because, again, the Republicans, inexplicably, I mean, why would anyone be against better gun control? You know, none of the laws, new legislation that's been proposed has said, you know, nobody can get a gun. Nobody's trying to take anyone's weapons away who are honest, sane, law-abiding people. What all that legislation is designed to do is to make it more difficult for, you know, a depraved person to get a weapon. And unfortunately, not just a weapon. You know, some of these people, some of these lunatics are stockpiled with dozens of weapons. And and yet, uh, and this is another reason, I don't understand Republicans, I'll tell you, they're not just mean. They're not just, in my view, not very bright. But I don't understand what, what's going on with their moral compasses. I don't understand if you just took an average Republican who does not want to see any change in our gun laws, and and they know about what happened at Parkland. They know about what happened at Sandy Hook. They know about what happened at Columbine. They know all these things. It's not that they don't know about it. It they, happened they to them, come, too. It happened yeah. to them. That's right. Twice. <laughs> and that's, still. That's right. 
exactly right. And and yet, yeah, no, no, you know, and you know, you and I have, have talked about this probably before also because I'm always talking about it whenever I'm interviewed. There's a difference between the First Amendment and the Second Amendment. The First Amendment says Congress shall make no law abridging freedom of speech or the press. So that's basically, you know, straightforward, either or, simple, direct statement. No law. The Second Amendment doesn't say Congress shall make no law regarding citizens' rights to possess weapons. It basically has language which says, yeah, the government shouldn't interfere with the right of people, you know, to keep a well-regulated militia, whatever exactly that means now in the 21st century. So, I, you know, obviously that's an important point that has to be kept in mind, whatever exactly it means. But it's not a proscription on the government controlling weapons. And, uh, again... Right. Republicans suffer from this just as much as Democrats, and yet they have consistently uh, stood in the way. So I think that what those Parkland students have done and are continuing to do is, and I'm glad you brought that up, that would be another bright light of 2018. I would expect that what they started is going to continue, and maybe the next time that we have a Democratic Senate as well as a Democratic House and a Democratic president, they'll pass some laws that will control some of these weapons. You know, people around the world think we're insane, uh, not just about the Electoral College, but about the, you know, the, the, the prevalence of guns in our society. But this, again, gets back to the Supreme Court problem. Uh, whatever laws are passed will have to be okayed by the Supreme Court, and at this point, the Supreme Court has a uh, Republican majority. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have to interrupt you for one second here, Paul. It is 11.03 here at WUSB Stony Brook, 90.1 FM, and W297BM Stony Brook, 107.3. It's 57 degrees. I got my shorts. I do have my shorts on. I came in with shorts. <laughs> I'm in shorts and a T-shirt. I had the AC on in the truck driving up this uh, this morning. Uh, you going swimming this afternoon, Paul? Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would. <laughs> <laughs> the, the pool closes at 12, so I, I probably won't have time to show up after the show. But if there were an outdoor place I could go swimming, I don't think there are any beaches open, I would definitely jump in. Yeah, it's it's like, I don't think you think the, uh, the, the, the water around Long Island, the, the, the sound is, the water has gotten cold enough yet um, for right. winter. So it takes a little while, so I don't know what's going on here. But uh, yeah, I just find it amazing. I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the weather, the little weather computer here. On, on my board, and uh, it's 57 it be, it degrees. It's a blizzard, I'll tell you that. January 1st. I've come yeah. to this, listen, I've, I've done radio in the blizzard. It's yeah, not a, I know. It's, it's not fun. a pretty sight, especially yeah. when they when when it's during Christmas vacation, and they, well, you must know this being at Fordham, and it's Christmas vacation, and they don't plow the okay. campus to get yeah. into a building that's not plowed. It's like, I know, I know. Oy, oy, oy. you need skis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, just to get back to Parkland for a second. You know, um, uh, sadly, after uh, after there was complete uh, impotence from the Sandy Hook tragedy, I lost all faith in both parties. <laughs> that no one, yeah. they were incompetent or, or or impotent to do anything. And we're talking about kindergartners. <laughs> you know. I know. Uh, 
just just a, a horror, an absolute horror. And I've you know it's it's and I and I've driven through Sandy Hook uh, several times um, on my travels up to uh, um, the Hudson Valley, where I'm planning on moving this year. And, oh, really? oh yeah, going going up there. Knock on wood. Uh, we we're thinking the house is going to sell in 2019. So if it does, um, but don't worry, I'm coming. Don't worry, listeners. Okay. I'm still going to be coming down to do my show. Congratulations, <laughs> that's great. Though. A little early for that, but but cross yeah. your fingers, Paul. But yeah, I think I think the Parkland students, um, you know, have more of a voice, you know. Well, they do, and but- and and a conscience, and it, and it was really amazing. And I and I look I look I I look forward to seeing great things from them. And I look forward to seeing them run for elected office. I think yes. we need them uh, yeah. in, in there, and I think that would be an amazing thing. So and 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 of course. I, I am filled with revulsion and disgust to, to see people actually attacking them and, 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 and questioning their character and, and their motivations, you know. Isn't, isn't watching your friends be murdered motivation enough, you know? It's just exactly really right. beyond the pale. It's just uh, horrifying what we can be capable of. I want to mention briefly to our listeners, I actually read this on the air once, um, there's a piece, I might have mentioned this to you also, Paul, there's a piece um, in the New York Review of Books from a few, around the time of Sandy Hook called Our Moloch, and, uh, and it's a piece about how um, guns is America's great god, Moloch, and that we mm-hmm. sacrifice ourselves to our god, and it's a horrific, um, a horrific article, <laughs> you know, just, just terrible. But it really calls, and it says, and it says, um, that, you know, it calls Charlton Heston the high priest. Yeah. You know, and I, Heston was still alive, I believe, at this time, and yeah. and it, it can't be questioned. And you cannot, you cannot question the gods' motivations. You just must must obey. So, to see these young people uh, come out uh, in force um, fills me with hope. And speaking of hope, is Mueller the great hope? Of 2019. <laughs> well, first of all, I have to say, you know, again, apropos of 2018, the year just passed, that I know that I, and I'm sure you, and all, if not uh, most, if not all of our listeners, have grown a little weary of, okay, this thing is definitely going to bring Trump down. And somehow, Trump manages to weather. It doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter what kind of public criticism there is. He just continues. Because the truth of the matter is, you know, impeachment, uh, getting him out of office uh, by that amendment, which takes the, the, all, you know, the cabinet and the vice president, those are very difficult and very steep hills to climb. So, all of which is to say that as far as I'm concerned, I'm hopeful about the Mueller report, but I certainly wouldn't bet money on what's going to happen. It's a very, very complicated thing. First of all, we don't know what Mueller is going to do with the report. If all he does is just turn the report over to the Attorney General, then it's going to take a little doing for we, the public, to even find out what's in the report. Congress can then subpoena the report. And, yeah, then the House of Representatives can look at the report. But in order for Trump to be impeached and then found guilty in a trial, 
there has to be in the report some very specific evidence about what Trump did. And that in turn hinges on the believability of people like, you know, like Michael Cohn, his lawyer, uh, erstwhile lawyer. People have said that Trump did things that are impeachable. But that's a little different than having evidence that he in fact did that, that he in fact instructed someone to obstruct justice. And I'm hopeful that that will come out in the Mueller report, but I'll believe it when I see it. So as far as I'm concerned, although one of the reasons I'm glad that the Democrats now have control of the House is that they, yeah, they can impeach, but that's different than finding him guilty, by the way. The Senate still has to vote to find him guilty you know, by, by, you know, not just, you know, 51 votes. Uh, it has to be whatever is two-thirds of the Senate. So, you know, I, I'm hopeful that that could happen, but I'm thinking in terms of what can be done to limit Trump and then vote him out of office uh, in, in 2020. I think that is the surest path uh, to get rid of Trump. I think the wheels turn so slowly in this that we will be discussing this during the election. I'm very hopeful, and I will switch parties to Republican, um, that uh, Trump will be primaried. <laughs> Yeah, I'm hopeful. So I'd be very happy to switch parties. I think you have to do that in advance, <laughs> New York State voters. Those of you who wanted to vote for Bernie were very disappointed, and and you felt cheated. But that's always been the rule, you know. And I've yeah. and I've switched parties in the past um, yeah. to be able to vote in the Republican primaries because I just wanted I wanted to sow chaos in my own <laughs> small. Good, way. that's always a good idea. I think I was going to vote for Ben Carson at one point. <laughs> uh, that would have definitely sowed chaos. That's be, that would have taken chaos. To a whole new level. <laughs> like, that was my plan. <laughs> at least with Ben Carson, I have to say, at least he was right running for president. You know, uh, I, and I wasn't surprised that Trump appointed him but, but, uh, just, uh, to whatever position he has. Was secretary of not secretary of health? Secretary HUD. Of, HUD. Yeah. HUD, right. Yeah. So I mean, because basically, the other one of the things about Trump, getting back to the craziness that he's done, is he has like a knack of appointing like the worst. Yeah. Lunatic losers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't know where he digs these people up, but I, I used to have yeah. a saying that I would I would like because I, I love self deprecating humor, and I would always say yeah. to myself, I am the master of my own disaster. You know, like like right. what's what's the absolute worst thing I can do to ruin my day today? Well, that's that's where I'm, I'm headed. You know, yeah. and it seems to be that's his mantra. It's like what. <laughs> It's just, right. just, just un unbelievable, just, just unreal, uh, you know. Just, oh, oh Lord, oh Lord, you know. Well, I, I actually wanted to get to the yeah, Ben Carson. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 Ben Carson. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. So, but I actually, Jeff Flake. Speaking of Jeff Flake, Flake, he was talking about running for president, and I, you know, even though. Even though he screwed the pooch, sort of, you know, he, he kind of yeah. like he he did it halfway. He he almost had a conscience there for a while. I mean, and then yeah. I remember watching that that Lawrence O'Donnell MSNBC report where where he grew a conscience for a few yeah, for right. a few minutes, and then he that's went right. and changed his vote. And you're right, Paul. He he could have gone the whole way, and I believe if he had, it would have made for a much better 
uh, primary contender in 2020 against Trump, and also he would have might have gotten the Republican women's vote <laughs> in the primary. Yes, that's right. He had a chance there. So, uh, and and aren't women in the majority in this country? You know, I seem yes. to remember that. So. Yeah. Well, on that topic, I wanted to say before, you know, it is not just Republicans. Joe Manchin is a Democrat. True, he comes from a conservative state, West Virginia. He had a chance to change history. He could have voted against Kavanaugh and joined uh, Senator uh, Mikowski from, from Alaska, a, a, a Republican, and that would have been that. But he basically had some kind of pact with uh, uh Susan Collins, that if she voted for Kavanaugh, he would vote for Kavanaugh. So go figure that. And Kavanaugh himself, um, you, you know, just seemed to me, when, when the stories of his past came out, any other person would have said, you know something, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm withdrawing, out of yeah. shame. And That's there true. was there was no shame. And... And and Dr. Ford, I believe Dr. Ford is a registered Republican, Paul, am I correct? Yes. No, you're completely right. And and so I don't think Dr. Ford did this for the fame. I don't think she did this for the money. I think she did this because she had a desperate pain in her heart and right. and she could not let it go. And and real there there's a true moment of heroism there. And and the real disgust happened days later at that rally where they were mocking her and doing the exact thing she said hurt her the most. Right. They were laughing at her and then here he is in a crowd of men and women uh, mocking her. Although um, they only show the crowd that's behind him. They never show if he's actually filled up the stadium in those little... <laughs> I know. I, I, I've always hoped that it's just like some kind of paper mache dummies yeah. that, that are out there. Uh, but look, there are a lot of people in the United States who have vile opinions, and they're still not in the majority. That's why it is an absolute perversion of democracy that Trump is even in the White House. He, Trump did not win the popular vote. Getting back to what we were talking about before, it's just uh, you know an oddity of this ridiculous electoral college system that we have. But hopefully in 2020, those people, their numbers haven't increased. And if the Democrats campaign in a more savvy way, not that Hillary Clinton's campaign did anything wrong. This is always the wisdom of hindsight. But with that wisdom of hindsight... You know, I think there's a very, very good chance that Democrats will recapture the White House in 2020. And I think Democrats need to to talk to the people in the middle of the country, and they need to talk about jobs, and they need to talk about industries that need to transition. Coal doesn't need to be supported. Coal needs to transition into a cleaner industry, and those people need jobs. That's and right. that's that. And if we can take 50% of our economy and put it onto defense, I'm sure we can come up with a few billion dollars to help some some poor coal miners, you know, who who are living in poverty in West Virginia, um, and I think if if the Democrats can come up with a real plan, I actually what I'm advocating here, uh, Paul, is I'm advocating for us to vote for Dave. Remember the movie Dave? Yeah, I remember Dave. I, I, I love that movie. <laughs> a job for everyone. Everybody yeah, works Dave. on Monday. That's yeah. what I want. That should be the Democrat um, the Democrats um, campaign slogan. Everybody works on Monday. <laughs> Yo, that's a good slogan. Look, it worked for FDR. So yeah, yeah, and and I think I think if we do that and and we avoid 
the corporate interests because there are plenty of Democrats out there, um, you know, who who follow corporate, you know, get pulled on the corporate leash as well. That's not, not just a Republican thing. That's right. And corporations and and the one percenters um, are um, savvy. They're smart. They know to win the game, they have to play both sides. You know, they have to have money on both sides, and that way they always win. By the way, I need to mention before um, the the, uh, the uh, station manager calls me that the opinions <laughs> expressed here on WUSB Stony Brook are the opinions of the DJ, uh, Captain Phil, and, and his guest, Paul Levinson, and not the opinions of the station at large or management. So the opinions expressed here are ours alone, and if you have a disagreement with that, that's great. We love you very, very much, and we thank you for listening. Uh, but just remember, uh, blame us. Absolutely. <laughs> Not we the take whole station. The, blame. I always the station forget. should agree with our wonderful opinions. <laughs> well, they okay. should. <laughs> right, right. And we're so good looking, too. I mean, how could they oh, not? Yeah. How could they yeah. not agree with us? That's right. We, have, we both have faces perfectly suited for radio. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, before we sign off of politics completely, um, um, the Trump um, Charitable Foundation has been deactivated, has been taken down, has been terminated. Uh, is this the way it's going to go down? Is it going to be the death of a thousand cuts for the Trump family? Um, or is this just a lucky break for us? Listen, it could be. It could be death of a thousand cuts. We're in radically unknown and uncharted territory. And that began the day that Trump was elected by the Electoral College. And anything can happen. And so what I said before, that I'm growing weary of saying, oh, this is going to bring Trump down, that doesn't mean that, therefore, nothing is going to bring Trump down. And either one of two things can happen. Either something will come along, maybe the Mueller report, that will be strong enough to get Trump out of office, or, uh, by the way, because he could resign also, or it could be a uh, death of a thousand cuts. He might wake up one morning and say, look, I don't need this anymore. You know, I don't need my family under constant fire. I don't need my finances constantly dissected. I don't need this job anymore. I can go, you know, live in Moscow and get a billion dollars a year from Putin or whatever it is Trump thinks he can get. So, yeah, none of that would shock me if it happened. So that's certainly something that could be on the horizon. As long as they have golf in Moscow, he'll go, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> oh, God. Golf and prostitutes. There you know. go. But I'm bum. Oh, man. Hey, uh, let's brighten things up. We have gone where no man has gone before, Paul. We have eyes in the sky as you and I speak of these mundane matters, these mundane things that in the grand history of the universe is just a fart in the wind, is just a blip on the screen, you know, and 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 we have, we have gone into a, a rendezvous with a Kuiper Belt object on this first day of 2019 we truly have gone where no man has gone before um how exciting is it my friend to live in a time where you and i have seen the surface of the planet pluto and we're about to see the surface of a kuiper belt object ultima thule i love it i mean it's at the very edge and end of our solar system and our knowledge of the solar system is actually changing even as we're talking because you know 10 15 20 years ago we had really not that much idea about what was out there and i'll tell you a secret hope of mine 
I'm hoping, I don't know whether it's going to be Thule or something else in the Kuiper belt, but I'm hoping that one of these little objects, one of these glittering faraway objects, turns out to be of some kind of extraterrestrial construction. Because that would could well be where it would be. Let's say there is, you know, some kind of civilization. A monolith of sorts, are you saying? Yeah. Sort of yeah. like a, an early warning system to say that we have broken out of the cradle. Yeah, exactly. They put a little marker there to say, stay away from these, you know, lunatics on Earth, <laughs> especially from in their year system, 2017 to 2021. But even earlier than that. But I, I seriously think that that, at this point, is the most likely place that we'll find evidence of uh, extraterrestrial intelligence. You know, it's nice to think that somehow something made it here to planet Earth. I mean, that could happen also. But, uh, you know, somewhere way, way, way in the distant outskirts of our solar system, I think that's a more logical place to look. Paul, do you hear the voices right now saying, why waste money on this? We have problems on Earth. Why do we need to look at a frozen ball of rock five billion miles away? Um, what say you to the naysayers, to this grand adventure we are on? Well, I say that if you have any even tiny bit of yearning to understand what we're doing here in this universe, what's life all about? And you look up at the sky at night, you see the stars. If you have any even smidgen of wanting to know more about that, we are, after all, citizens not just of planet Earth, but of the universe. This is the way to find out more about that. This is the way to scratch that itch that I think every sentient being has, even though we might often not pay much attention to it. But we, we don't have the answers to any of this stuff. We, we barely understand how life itself emerged on Earth, how intelligent life emerged from non-sentient life. We certainly have no idea how the universe itself began. I mean, what's the Big Bang theory? So what made the Big Bang happen in the first place? We don't really understand any of that. And this is the tiny way that we have of opening up moving aside the curtains to give us a little bit of a glimpse into that universe. And that is why this is such a crucially important thing. And exciting. I, I, I remember saying, you know, as, as I finished up my years as a public school special education uh, teacher and, I, and my talking to my friends about getting older and things like that. They says, well, you know, what do you want to do when you get older? It's like, well, I really want to stay alive uh, to see those first pictures of the surface of planet Pluto. After that, if I need to check out, <laughs> I'm cool with that, but I want to participate. I want to be part of the generation that has seen something that no other human being has ever seen in the history of history. <laughs> exactly. There's no one else. This is how special and how important it is um, to me. And, I mean, we're just 
we're just having the anniversary of the 50th anniversary of Apollo 8's uh, famous uh, Earthrise, which in the in the terrible year of 1968, a terrible year as well. <laughs> and, you know, um, we we had the um, we had that moment of hope at Christmas. Uh, 1968, when the Apollo 8 astronauts, who were basically on a 50-50 mission, <laughs> and I'm going to talk about this uh, a little bit more once I get off the phone with you, Paul. Um, you know, we weren't sure those those three were going to come back. It was quite a terrifying uh, thing that they did. Um, but the one thing, once they made it to the moon, the only thing they could do was look back at home, and That's looking right. back at the at the how how you didn't see Republicans. You didn't see Democrats. You didn't see uh, national lines. You didn't see a wall. You just saw a tiny, blue, beautiful planet with white clouds and blue oceans. And it was just an amazing shot. Even catched very grandly initially on those on those black and whites. But um, it's been 50 years, and uh, I feel we're on the same sort of moment right now. Um, when when you know when I go home uh, after today's show, I'm going to be going on uh, the NASA websites and seeing what what has come down. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, it's fascinating. That's ultimately what intelligent life is all about: learning more about where we are. And where we are is not just on this beautiful planet, but in a much, much vastly larger system. And this is, you know, we're still at the very beginning of that, but this is really a significant step in that beginning. Paul, you have been on for over an hour, <laughs> and you have made my New Year's, and uh, you got up early on New Year's Day, which is a holiday for both of us, <laughs> and spend time with me, and I so appreciate it. Let's give out all your credits again. It's, uh, your blog is it was Paul, paullevin.net, was that? The blog is Paul Levinson, my full name, dot net. Dot net. On Twitter, I'm at Paul Lev, P-A-U-L-L-E-V, that's at Paul Lev on Twitter, and paullev.com is my webpage. Also, if you search on me and my name, Paul Levinson, you can get to Bandcamp, you can get to my Reverb Nation music page. Uh, I'm Paul Levinson on Facebook. You're, you're welcome to, I almost have 5,000 friends, so I don't think I can take on any more friends, but you're certainly welcome to follow me and say hello, and I'm always very responsive. I, you know, yes. And you also attend uh, science fiction conventions in the New York, New Jersey area. I'm, and uh, you, I, do you have a convention uh, coming up in uh, 2019 besides ReaderCon? I would say Heliosphere. That's I think in March. March or, yeah, so I'll, I'll definitely be there. I have to. You know what? I have to remember about Heliosphere because in my brain it's Lunacon, and I and I and, I know. and for whatever reason, um, the Heliosphere um, their their news and their updates don't reach me. So I wanna I wanna put that on my list. I have to add that to my calendar because yeah. uh, the late lamented Lunacon is. I think it's gone for good. You know. I feel terrible about that. You know, I just read Alec Neville Lee's. Fantastic book called Astounding about yes. the golden age of yeah. science fiction, and it, and it made me nostalgic for Lunacon. 
because Alan Andrews, an analog writer, has a picture, which he put up, I've seen it before, of him and John Campbell at Lunacon in uh, 1970, a year before wow. Campbell passed wow. away. And it's a real shame that Lunacon isn't with us anymore. Hey, you know, briefly speaking about John uh, W. Campbell, uh, John I've, been in, Campbell. I've been in contact with John Betancourt, and he's publishing that lost work of John Campbell's, which was like the original story uh, for Who Goes There, which is the basis of the movie The Thing. Um, So have you been following that at all? Exciting stuff, huh? Great stuff. And John Betancourt has been doing this for a while. In fact, I have a story in one of his early anthologies, and I can't remember the name of it. It was, it was maybe something like, it was a, it was a crazy anthology about science fiction writers doing crazy things. And, uh, I've been following John Betancourt's work for like, like 20 years. Didn't he do a book called Swashbuckling Editor yes, Stories? That's it. Swashbuckling Editor Stories. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I had a swashbuckling editor story. I have to message John and tell him we talked about swashbuckling editor stories. Yeah. <laughs> I, at that point, I was not published just any place else. It was one of my first publications. Wild Side my, my Press. My story is yeah. called Grace Under Pressure, by the way, in anthology. Wild Side yeah. Press. John Bettencourt, um, a right. good member of PhilCon, which is not named after Captain Phil. Uh, Captain Phil be. is kind of named after PhilCon. Well, PhilCon came uh, first, right? PhilCon was 1936, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, okay, so you're younger than that, huh? A little bit. Okay. <laughs> a little bit, but uh, oh my god yeah but yeah that's i'm trying to get john to come on the radio and talk about this uh this john w campbell story so uh that's in the works of 2019 i'm hoping to make that happen and it's very exciting i was i I was an early supporter of the kickstarter um because i thought it's just going to be one of these little things and it took off the media picked up with it and he like quadrupled or quintupled his original uh, budget for it or whatever, and now they've, they've got Bob Eggleton, the famous um, artist, the sure. Godzilla artist, painting right. the, the cover, and, and it's just... And, and Bob is perfect for, like, a monster story. You know, the perfect yeah. artist, so it's, uh, it's very exciting. So if you're interested in The Thing, the movie The Thing, and the history behind it, um, you'll want to look up Wildside Press and John W. Campbell, but first you're going to look up Paul Levinson on Bandcamp, and I have to have you you mentioned, Paul, that you have many, many books in in print right now, and the best place to obtain your books would be uh, by searching for Paul Levinson on Amazon.com. Is that correct? Yes, that's probably that's definitely the best place. Amazon has all my books. Some of them you can read for free if you have Kindle Unlimited. Uh, none of them are too expensive, but you'll find the plot to save Socrates, uh, the beginning of my time travel trilogy, The Silk Code, which won the Locus Award for Best First Science Fiction Novel of 1999, and all kinds of other goodies there. Awesome, awesome. And um, now, uh, as we leave, we're going to play you out to uh, Welcome Up, which is the name for your forthcoming album in 2019. We played a bunch of tracks from it already. We played If Time, if, if I Travel to the Past, and we also played Samantha. We're going to end this segment, this, this long and, and, and wondrous segment, where we've touched upon, we've gone down into the dirt with politics, but we've also talked about great music and, and how you're big in Japan. And the movie... <laughs> 
movie and the movie was Spinal Tap, by the way. Okay, right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I know, isn't Google wonderful? Is, yeah. <laughs> and and then of course we 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 reached for the stars to end and talked about this wonderful New Horizons mission that is taking place as I'm as I'm on the air right now. But let's return to welcome up and discuss uh, before before we say goodbye, Paul, uh, your title track, uh, Welcome Up Here, which I have queued up and ready to go. Well, it's a song I started writing uh, about my wife when she was still my girlfriend back in the late 1960s. You know, I'd just written a couple of verses. One quick point is that at some point I was stuck. This was back in the 60s. I didn't know what to write next. And I, I was taking a nap on a bus, and I dreamt that Paul McCartney came to me and said, Hey, man, here's your next line. I said, Oh, that's, thanks, Paul. Uh, so I put that in there. But then I, I didn't work on it for decades. And it, it sort of evolved into a song. Uh, about a a female being sort of growing up into and going out into and thereby exploring the universe. So it fits right into the Kuiper belt and the Thule object and all those things. And it also gives us a sense of wonder and hope for 2019. Something um, that we think we all can agree on is what everybody wants for this coming year. Absolutely. Happy New Year, my friend. I hope to see you at Heliosphere. I have to add that to my calendar, and, and I have to remember to add that to my calendar because in my mind it's Lunacon. Um, and, uh, and I will hopefully see you there. And then, if not there, uh, definitely at ReaderCon in July in Quincy, Massachusetts. And, again, we'll have you back on again sometime, Paul, all right? And, uh, and, Anytime. And also, uh, as when the album drops, when you do you have a – actually, that's what I meant to ask you. Do you have a firm release date? For no, not yet. It's going to be, there's still some remixing and things that need to be done. We're going to set up a schedule. My guess is it'll be in the late spring, like, you know, April. But I'll, I'll, I'll let you know as soon as we have a definite release. Date. Yeah, definitely do that, and I will totally uh, announce it on the air and how to get it and how to check it out. Ladies right. and gentlemen, you've spent 90 minutes with my good friend Paul Levinson, and we're filling in we're filling in for the Libertarian show today. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so who knows who I'm going to be asked back? But uh, me and uh, me and uh, Brian get along fairly well because whenever we get together, we only talk about science. <laughs> we don't talk about politics at all. So he and I get along very well together when we keep it to that. But, my friend, I wish you the best in 2019 and all the best for the upcoming release of Welcome Up. Ladies and, gentle, ladies and gentlemen and, and carbon-based life forms across the universe, Paul Levinson. Thank you so much, Paul. Hey, thank you. My pleasure, Paul. Happy Take New care. Year. Thank you. You too. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. Hiding behind a ranger Shyly opening her sweet milk chocolate eyes Sleepily peeking out from dreams nine times her size Welcome up Stories below her window She sees people puttering like pebbles on the street Sunshine buttering the sidewalk neath their feet. Welcome up. Always reaching for the source. Always reaching something. Like
Thank you, Paul Levinson. Um, uh, spent a good solid ninety minutes with me here on the air. Uh, when when uh, any any sensible person would have been sleeping last night off, but uh, I appreciate that. And uh, this was uh, on short notice as well. And uh, Paul is always is always ready. And uh, just just love uh, love the fact this is one of the gifts that science fiction gives you. The light on light through podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. By the way, that's the third interview on Light On, Light Through that I took from Captain Phil's WUSB radio show. I think we've done a total of four interviews so far, and I'm sure we'll be doing more. And I'll be back here soon, in any case, with a new episode of Light On, Light Through. So, Happy New Year. I wish the best to all of you. And until I'm talking to you again, enjoy. Athens, 2042 A.D. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left, again, into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled Up With A Good Book says, 
Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries.